2: So, Anya, what did we watch?
1: Well, Kevin, we just watched A Killing in the Second House, the 11th episode of Kojak's second season, which, of course, aired on November 17th, 1974. So this was the top-ranked Kojak episode on a site which name escapes me. That ranked all oh, the best episode I'm sorry, episode Ninja, ranking TV using data. So we watched the most. This one was number one based on a whopping and statistically significant 11 votes. So that explains why the trade off was number two. That's the other one we watched recently.
2: Well, this one was written by Gene Kearney, who I think is the writer who produced the best kojak episodes. His scripts got more into character, didn't focus so much on the colorful Kojak character. He was basically a supporting character in many of the Kearney scripts.
1: I mean, I know my head says that maybe the writing in this is better, but my heart just wants Kojak saying weird, groovy shit. There was a little bit of that in this picture. Yeah, there was a little bit, but maybe it could have used some more of him coming in and being like, Oh, what's the mumbo jumbo, baby? And like, I mean, isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we're here?
2: I want an involving, uh, dark story about human greed, and that's where I got it. this story. I thought was gripping.
1: I thought it was pretty, pretty good. The ending was a little bit stupid, in my opinion. I'll tell you why, but it was, it was good, and. It, I, it had it was more interesting than it had any right to be because it starts out with something where you're like, okay, well, what are you know what's going to happen here? And then it got it got good. It was it was definitely you wanted to see what happened. Love Kojak, love the squad. You know, I love Stavros, I love Crocker, I love McNeil. Every it's just a good squad. There's always that guy who looks like he's wearing a doctor's uh lab coat. I don't know who he is, but That's he's cool. in it.
2: Why don't you tell us? But I'm sure there are people. Within the sound of your voice,
1: Kojak.
2: Who don't know who who is this crocker you speak Kojak?
1: of? That's like so. There's different. This you know. So Kojak's a lieutenant, right? He's a lieutenant, and he's in this squad, and they take a lot of cool cases. And he's this very flamboyant, very interesting, very over the top, gregarious, charismatic character. And like he's played by Telly Savalas and it's just so perfect because he has so much charisma that he makes this character who's saying just utterly, like if you or I said any of these things in public, we would get such a bad reaction that we would have to hide ourselves for like a month before we talk to anyone again. It would just be humiliating.
2: At one point he asks if uh, a particular lady has gotten married and how does he phrase that question?
1: Uh, Did she do the ding dong number? (laughs) And, And everyone's like, what? And he's like, you know, get married, and they're like, oh, okay. Like, he, like, you know, if I went to like the store and said that, again, I would have to like probably fake my death. I'd be so humiliated. to get such a cold reception. But he's Telly Savella's, so he's so charismatic and charming that he can say whatever the fuck he wants. You just want more of it. So I, that, the, that's kind of the show. But meanwhile, you have that over the top, larger than life character dropped into. A New York City of the 1970s that's coming apart at the seams. People are about to just start killing each other in the streets, like The Purge. Everything's gritty. Everything's grimy. Everything's gross. There, people are dressed in ridiculous outfits. So kind of like are, our house. Yep, yeah, kind of like our house. People are using bizarre slang. People are addicted to drugs. People are, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Kind of like our house. Kind of like our house. And it's one of those things where it's such a gloomy backdrop and he's such an incandescent character that it's, for some reason, it works for the most part. We've watched a few duds, but even the duds can be fun because they just have this bizarre character saying all this weird shit and running around. But anyway, the show's also about Kojak's squad. He's the leader, he's the lieutenant. Um, And then he's got a bunch of detectives working on him, including... Who's
2: this Crocker you speak of?
1: Yeah, You you just want me to get to Crocker, because his real name is Kevin.
2: Kevin Dobson. The great Kevin Dobson.
1: Yeah, another Kevin. You tip your hat to the other Kevins. (laughs) He's like this young cop who is like, always seems to be having a bad day. And I really like this character, because he just always seems kind of pissed off in a way that feels like... He feels like this very intelligent, ambitious young cop who's, like, just sick of everything already, even though he hasn't been at it as long as the other detectives.
2: And I'll note, look at this. I'm Facebook friends with the late Kevin Dobson. You're
1: Facebook friends with this late actor. Wait, what the fuck? Why? How? He's Crocker!
0: <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ. How did this happen? So that's why you wanted me to talk about Crocker. No,
2: it just occurred to me that I, I hadn't mentioned it to you.
1: So that's that's one of your powerful it, Hollywood connections what But happened? I got in
2: under the wire before he passed away.
1: That R.I.P. That's so sad. I he how how old was he? Uh, I'll look it up. That's too bad. I he's probably other than Kojak, my favorite character on the show because he always just seems a bit of a live wire. But he's following the rules. He's not like. He's not the stereotypical loose cannon cop, at least from the episodes I've seen. He just seems like he, if you had a really bad day, he might go off. Frankly, that's how I feel a lot of times. So uh, it's relatable.
2: <laughs> uh, Kevin Dobson died at 77 in September of 2020.
1: Oh, that's too bad. Died
2: after struggling with an autoimmune deficiency.
1: That's really sad. That's so sad. I mean... That just makes me sad, but that's cool that you were friends on Facebook with him. Is it? Why did he accept you? Is it just the code of the Kevins?
2: I I think he was accepting anybody. Oh. And so...
1: You just... Yeah.
2: And also, it's a thing on on Facebook, there's a thing where it says, uh, hey, why don't you try to become friends with this person, or this person, or this person? So
1: you being an elderly person, you just start friending all these people, including the late Kevin Dobson
2: aren't you jealous
1: i'm a little bit jealous i'm not gonna lie
2: <laughs> i'm facebook friends with a cast member of kojak
1: that is really cool fuck you <laughs> i'm probably the only person you know who can say that you probably are because you don't know how facebook works <laughs> and you don't care to learn <laughs> you know it's supposed to friend people you don't know
2: if it suggests you friend somebody guess what you do it oh my god that's the way it
1: works (laughs) that's how you get into the kojak inner circle um yeah he's in it uh i want to say one of the other supporting characters who i love is stavros who at first you're like who's this guy because he always seems to be in like a 1920s silent comedy film where he's just like, womp, womp, like falls on his butt and like rolls down the stairs and is, you know, oh no, like I dropped a pie on my face. Like weird shit's happening to him in the background. And then that's actually Telly Savalas's in real life brother. <laughs> so what? <laughs> and again, when I say, like, when I describe all of this, it sounds just like this clown show, but it's not. It's actually really gripping. Police drama at times. Like, it can be very intense. Like, they did an episode, like, about, like, rape once, and it was, like, actually... It was really good. It was actually so well done, and not... Like, you think, okay, a 70s take on the question of a, you know, a sexual predator, that's going to be pretty stupid and offensive, right? Not really. In this case, they actually kind of did a pretty good job with it, surprisingly. So, it, it's one of those shows that has no right to be as good as it is.
2: Now, you have siblings. I do. Let's pretend for a moment that this, that this podcast was successful.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a and, and, and,
2: and you went to one of your sisters and said, we'd love to have you be a part of the podcast every week. We'd want you to come in for a couple of minutes and we'll make fun of how dumb and unattractive you are.
1: Yeah. We'll let That's you, basically
2: what Telly Savalas yeah, said to his to, brother. Yeah,
1: we'll let you be clown yourself. And fall down the stairs and look like a fool and prove why mom liked me best. That's the whole how, how, vibe. How do you think your sister would react? I to don't that? think they'd react very well because they have some self-esteem, and I, I, I would, I think that's the way anybody should react. If to the, if your, if your brother or sister tries to stab roast you, get the fuck out of there. You don't want any part of that. That's so, just so why, why,
2: why do you think? What does it say about Telly? What does this say about his brother?
1: I like I like to think the best of Telly, right? Now that we're on a first name <laughs> basis, I would like to think the best of him. I like to think that perhaps uh, his brother maybe just wanted to be the silly guy and kind of did it to himself, you know? And and was and maybe maybe even Telly was uncomfortable with it. Like, dude, like why don't we have an ep- like an episode where you look pretty cool? Nah, man, I, I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna break my chair when I sit down. I mean, like, <laughs> I think he beclowned himself. Oftentimes, the worst clowning is the one you do to yourself, and that's what this this smacks of.
2: Well, I can't imagine a world in which one of your sisters comes to you and says, "I've got a great idea."
1: How about I make you look like an asshole in front of everybody?
2: Yeah, no. Why don't I come on the podcast and make a fool of myself? That was your idea. That's how you that's, pitched it to I'm me. Not a,
1: I'm not i I'm not I'm not a sadist. I wouldn't do that. But no, he's in it, and then and also one weird thing is that. Kojak's always kind of mean to Stavros, like you know. Yes. Like, he's actually kind of mean to everybody. Like he's always yelling at Crocker's, always yelling at people in the in in the in the squad. And then other episodes, he's like the life of the party. He's like really fun. So, but he he can be kind of mean to Stavros. So again, what does this say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what any of this says.
2: Tell us about. You also made a reference to McNeil. Who is this McNeil, McNeil you speak is, of? Give us a report. He's
1: the uh, he's the old captain. So he's over Kojak. So he's more of like the like Kojak's high up, but he's like at the level where he can still go and like lead a raid and like be in the field. Whereas McNeil, unless his wife gets kidnapped, he's pretty much office bound, and he is like this older guy, and we love him because he's just this kind of like. He just always seems kind of like, what is going on? <laughs> he's got this tired, exasperated air that feels feels uh realistic. And he's just usually kind of bouncing around ideas with the guys. Just hanging out. Did I miss anybody? I'm sure there's other people.
2: Well, that's Saperstein. Which one's he? He's the one you call Dr. Officer. He for some always reason. is wearing
1: this like white coat that looks like a lab coat. So I'm like, what is what's this guy doing here? And then, yeah, so he's he's a, he's one of those background guys. There's a couple other guys that come in. You know, it's a good squad.
2: You like this crew.
1: It's a good squad. And I just love the grimy, shitty New York City of the 70s. There's something strangely fascinating to me about it. It just seems like an, like you would not want to go there at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Every time they do like a shot in the city or like they're like it, it doesn't everything just look terrible
2: yeah yeah new york is an awful place is that what you're telling us
1: well i mean back then it was and i i mean i think it's it's got cleaned up somewhere. thanks to kojak thanks to kojak exactly this fictional character
2: <laughs> cleaned up the streets i was taking a quick look at george savallas's uh, filmography i was too did you see that at the same time he was appearing on Kojak, he also had a guest starring role on Koljak. Now, wouldn't that be confusing?
1: Wait. Huh? Koljak the Night Stalker? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah.
2: So he was on Kojak J- and Koljak. Koljak
1: the Night Stalker?
2: He played Kaz in the classic episode, The Youth Killer. <laughs>
1: Well, good for him. Jeez, gosh, this uh, this show—it's. Do you think
2: Cold Jack was an effort? It's to- Cold
1: Jack, right? It's not. It's not Jack.
2: I've never seen the show, but you think? I
1: thought you saw it. I thought we like connected over this.
2: Did we? The Darren McGavin show? Yes.
1: About I'm- the crusading reporter who I'm aware fights of the vampires. Show. I mean, what a great show!
2: So is it not just, like, if you want a show, just take the word Kojak and, like, add a letter?
1: I, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I Believe it or not, I wasn't involved in the in the writing or planning of any of this. It's a little before my time.
2: Right. It's Cold Jack. So, yeah. That's a completely different Cold thing.
1: Cold Jack. I was like, what the fuck is this guy saying?
2: Oh, well, Cold Jack. What would Cold Jack be about? That'd be a pretty good show. <laughs>
1: Is that Telly Zavallis is a is a cop up in Alaska, <laughs> and he always just says it's cold up here, Jack.
2: <laughs> See, we, we we would watch that.
1: Oh, I would watch the shit. Yeah, hell yeah, I'm all about a snowy mystery. All about the charm of Telly Savalas. So, let's go.
2: And even the the TV movies they did after the series ended, he's still Telly Savalas.
1: Yeah, he's still Telly, and I just saw. I just saw, in when I was looking up his brother's IMDb, there's a there's a movie called Kojak: The Belarus Files. We yeah. need to we need to watch. That sounds so insane.
2: It's about Nazis.
1: Oh my god!
2: It's the first of the Kojak reunion movies. Oh god, I can't. wait. I believe it has the last appearance of uh, Captain
1: McNeil. Ooh, yeah, that's sad. But yeah, we got to watch some of those. You told me that like this series that those movies tend to be have no right to be as good as they are.
2: Yes. When you think about someone coming back to a role like 10 or 15 years later, you think it's probably not as good.
1: We've seen the Wild Wild... We we tried to sit through the Wild Wild West movie, and we gave up because it was that bad.
2: Remember that? Yeah, Even something like the Columbo movies from the 80s and 90s. In the beginning, they weren't bad. Yeah. But by the end of the Reunion movies, the Columbo Reunion movies, is like, okay. Stop
1: it! Stop! <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution! And the best part? You can try it yourself with their 7-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash pods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: What what do you think? I mean, I think it's just, it's all Telly's charisma, honestly. But I also got a... I mean, beyond that, there is something to the series and and the whole thing. For you, but we also agree that it's kind of ridiculous and it shouldn't work. So, like, for you, what pushes it into working? Other
2: than the Tele Zavala's character, many of the episodes, maybe even most of the episodes, take place in a very realistic, dark world. Yeah,
1: very grounded. It's not like, most of the episodes are not, The crimes are not ridiculous. You watch Law & Order, even though they claim to be ripped from the headlines, usually it's portraying crime in a way that is stupid enough to be irresponsible, as in, like, this would never in a million years happen, or it certainly wouldn't happen like this. But Kojak, like, there is just kind of a randomness and, like, kind of a tragedy to it that kind of keeps it grounded, I think.
2: And also, many of the scripts uh, were written. Uh, there was another writer on the show named Burton Armis, who was a New York City cop, at least when he started writing. And so in some of the episodes before he was credited as a writer, he was kind of a technical advisor. I think we were watching an episode the other day, and somebody said, oh, where is Armis? Or give me Armis to do this or that. And it was a reference to uh, Burton Armis. So when you have a police officer writing scripts for you, that's certainly he can another. bring
1: he can bring some realism into it. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's grounded. I think that helps, even though it has a larger than life main character who feels larger than life, but also feels like like you buy it, you buy it, like you buy the charisma, you buy it. Like it's not it's not like everyone's like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. Look at him. They're not. It's not artificially propping him up.
2: Now here's the question, the big question. Oh. You love Dragnet. I do. I love Dragnet. You love it with the heat and the passion of a thousand burning suns. What the fuck? And so on Dragnet, (laughs) sometimes you see an episode where, like, uh, Friday goes over to Gannon's house and they have sandwiches.
1: Very weird sandwiches. Yes.
2: Do you think it would be entertaining to watch Kojak go over to Crocker's house for a weekend to watch a football game
1: and have sandwiches? I think it might be, actually. (laughs) I mean, it would be pretty weird. (laughs) But, like, I mean, if it was, like, Kojak planning Crocker's bachelor party or something like that, don't you think that would get really crazy? I mean, didn't Kojak in one... Kojak, in a recent episode that we watched, offered to set McNeil up, who is McNeil, his boss, who is married. He's... I don't... And we don't know whether he was joking or whether he was serious or whether it was some sort of fuck it, like, rat fucking trap where he was, like, I'm going to set you up with some girls, basically. So, like, you know, like, he's just always. He's, he is a. Kojak has such a chaotic energy, the character, that it's fun to watch him. And he says all these weird things, like the ding dong number. I mean, it's, it's like, he's just saying, he's just saying words sometimes, and it's just entertaining. That's my take. In this episode, he's not in it a lot, actually. It's, it's mostly about a. Uh, a sordid couple who uh, who the the man is a former homicide detective who used to work for Kojak who became a private eye after he was fired for taking graft and his wife uh runs this like very primitive archaic computer driven uh horoscope service and through strange circumstances the detective ends up covering up his former rich boss's suicide, ostensibly to give the widow uh, a a kickback in terms of the insurance. But this spirals, of course, this deception spirals into an extortion racket, which then makes the leap into murder, and it's just a shit show. And and you kind of know where it's going when you start seeing these people being like, we're going to Paris! It's like, no, you're not. Kojak's gonna get your ass. And then, uh, and then you know, but it's it it feels grounded. It doesn't it doesn't like uh, it doesn't get too nuts. A week episode we watched recently had the had the bad guys be these drug lords who kidnapped McNeil's wife, and that felt like it was going too far. Like that that doesn't feel like something that would happen. So that one felt like kind of right. alien. But this one felt more like you know someone's desperate for money and the high life and they get an opportunity like this, maybe you could see them making a bunch of really bad decisions.
2: And uh, the that detective was played by Martin Balsam. Ba- is it Balsam?
1: I don't know. He looked really familiar.
2: He's a really, really good actor.
1: Yeah, he's good.
2: Uh, the first thing I saw him in.
1: Uh-oh. You look, you look embarrassed and ashamed. Should I be worried? <laughs>
2: Should we just move on?
1: No, tell me. What was he in?
2: So, there's this great show called "All in the Family." You're familiar with this program?
1: No, but I, I know the name.
2: It's a show with an edge about this uh kind of rough, bigot Archie. Uh, Bunker who circumstances have him letting his uh, very liberal son-in-law uh, live with him in one house and they're always fighting and it's very well written, very good show. It's one of those shows that was on longer than it should have been. And so one thing that happens in sitcoms when they go on too long is characters that have a bit of an edge become soft and likable. And that happened in this case, uh, His son-in-law moves out, goes to the other side of the country. He adopts a little girl. And uh, his wife dies, and he opens up a a little bar. And by that point, it was so far afield from what All in the Family was that they changed the title of the show to Archie Bunker's Place. (laughs) And when I was a little boy, I would watch Archie Bunker's Place.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a Kevin move.
2: And they thought it would be a funny idea. Uh, Archie used to be a bigot. What if his business partner was a Jewish man named Murray? And so this guy played Murray on uh, Archie Bunker's Place. He was good on the show. It just wasn't a good show.
1: That sounds like a terrible show. And it seems like kind of a, I mean... It seems kind of like a dumb message to have a guy be a complete bigot. I mean, is he changing through character development, or is he changing just because they're softening the writing?
2: Generally speaking, if you have a really rough guy in season one...
1: He's going to be a lovable old, lovable old guy by the seventh season.
2: Yeah, and I think Ellen the Fanon was like 10 or 11 years, and then Archie Bunker's place lasted another three or four. Gosh. And
1: that was your place, too. You went... You spent a lot of time there, it sounds like. <laughs> I, I,
2: a few years ago, I actually, in a fit of madness, I bought the, oh the, the DVD. Oh, wow, that's
1: shocking. That's not madness. That's just the state of mind you're constantly in. You I, made a you made a dumb purchase of old media that didn't age well? Wow. What a shock. I
2: bought season one of Archie Bunker's place, and I said, what have I done? I don't think I even opened it. I bought all in the family and like the first few years are great but then once uh the son-in-law moves out it's just what are we doing here
1: Wait th- does he, the son-in-law move out and like divorce the daughter
2: So the son-in-law moves out and he and and the daughter move next door and then they decide to leave the show and so they moved to the other side of the country And then a few years later the actress playing the uh, daughter wanted to do her own spin off, uh, and the guy playing her husband wasn't interested. And so they said, uh, uh, They got a divorce. And now she's coming back and she's working for a vet. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it, folks? And then that was a very short uh, run series called Gloria. The vet, of course, was played by Burgess Meredith. Oh, okay. TV's The Penguin.
1: There you go. And. Wow. Okay. I don't. He, this guy, this this actor Balsam, was also in. I saw on his IMDb page. He's also in the President's Men. So I think that's probably where I recognize him from. So you, I you have class. You didn't know him
2: as Murray. <laughs> from, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know Archie, Bunker's, Archie Bunker's
1: plays Murray. No, I knew him as a, a respected editor. I think probably there's a bunch of old guy editors in that movie. are all sitting around. So like, I've seen that movie a lot. So I think that's where I'm. It's where I'm picking it up on.
2: He did a great job on this episode.
1: Yeah, he he's a good actor. He he did a good job. He I, underplayed it. He underplayed it. And I think that was key. I think he'd be overplayed it. It would seem a little bit like, okay, what's going on? But I think he underplaying it, he just seems like a really desperate guy, you know. It
2: was like there was an escalating series of disasters. And he keeps on thinking, well, I can deal with this, I can deal with this, I can deal with this. And it
1: was going well enough for him at first that you could actually, from the writing, buy that he's like, I can get away with this. Because, like, he got in, he was, like, when, when when there's a plot like this, and you're almost like, come on, man, just cut your losses. But in this one, he got so close to it that you could actually feel like maybe that would make sense. So it worked for me. The performances worked, the writing worked, this was definitely a good Kojak. Love Kojak coming in, saying his little quips. He keeps on ranting about how, you know, blah blah blah, you know, this guy was a crooked cop. So he I mean, and one nice thing about this is like there's no the 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 like as an like it doesn't dumb things down to where like Kojak is just an idiot who's kind of stumbling through it. Like a lot of cop shows have that where like the cops like, Oh, okay. This guy who was a sketchy detective who got fired is here. And he's all wrapped up in this, but I'm sure he's a good guy. No worries. It's definitely this guy who never committed a crime in his life that we're going to go after. Kojak's immediately suspicious of this guy. And he's kind of like, I think that this guy who has a history of lying and doing sketchy things with his power is probably, you know, involved here and I'm not going to railroad him, but I'm also not going to take my eyes off him. So that's something that always makes Kojak seem smarter than the average detective in these things.
2: Kojak is nobody's fool.
1: He always tells it like it is. And it's not that he knows everything right away, but he usually has good instincts. And, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't take any wind out of the sails of the show. But I think sometimes other things are like, Oh, we're going to give it away. If the detective knows who did it, but usually it just makes the detectives look dumb. Yeah. Um And uh, so basically, as you can imagine, this all ends with uh, Balsam killing a woman to cover up their flight to Paris. Trying I think to- it
2: was an accidental thing.
1: It was more of an accident. He wasn't He wasn't there to murder her, but she hit her head. And at that point, naturally, Kojak walks in.
2: Well, then, then Balsam like strips her naked and puts her into a bathtub.
1: He's trying to make it look like she slipped in the bath and hit her head.
2: And there was a very effective moment where...
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Well, why don't you
2: say it then? It
1: well, now what if it's a different thing?
2: Well let's see if you got it.
1: There's a very effective moment where he is carrying her body to the bath to plant her and he puts her body in the bath and the We water, have a shot of his
2: like his feet.
1: Yeah, the water overflows and it yeah. gets it, he, like the bathroom is flooded.
2: That was great.
1: That was great. Uh and 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 like it's got like nice little Artistic touches like that, that kind of just feel like it elevates it from your standard police procedural, police drama thing to just something that's a little bit more well thought out, well put together, uh, gives it just that kind of right amount of texture. And unfortunately for him, Kojak picks this moment to come try to talk to this woman who's a witness in this case. And there's a chase. Balsam tries to shoot at Kojak.
2: Not a smart move.
1: Not a smart move. And Kojak uh shoots back and kills him.
2: And then Kojak has the guy's the guy's wife was was leaving him.
1: <laughs> yeah, the guy's wife betrayed him. They sort of seemed as thick as thieves, but then she's kind of cutting him out of it. She was gonna run to Paris on her own.
2: And then there was a very ineffective scene, unfortunately. Oh, in that made,
1: yeah, that was just ugh.
2: Where he says, Well, you know, Mrs. Martin Balsam. Your husband was a bad fella, but it was really all your fault. Good night, everybody. I know.
1: I love that. It's like this man did some bad things, but you know what? I think the woman drove him to do it. (laughs) That's the excuse you use whenever you do something bad. My wife made me do it.
2: That's going to be on my gravestone.
1: My wife made me do it. My wife. I mean, like. She was obviously a bad lady. She was willing to go along with all this and she wanted the money and you didn't feel like she had much regard for other people's lives or safety or anything. But, uh, you know, he was the one who, you know, like he was the, the, the episode did not write it in a way that made it felt like he was a weak willed man who was being steamrolled by her. They just seemed to be partners in this. Perhaps they both brought out the worst in each other. But at the same time, that's a two-person job, not all of her fault. So that just felt like a very stupid, you know who the real ones are? The real bad guys? The women.
2: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense when you think Kevin's
1: about it. Kevin's nodding, thinking, looking thoughtful.
2: <laughs> I was taking notes, kind of side-eyeing you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I really pushed you into a few extortion rackets in my time.
2: You pushed me into doing this podcast.
1: No, that's definitely not true. <laughs> I was the Cassandra trying to stop the whole thing. <laughs> Cursed with the gift of foresight, but not being believed.
2: So uh, I, think, I think there's another scene we have to talk about Uh-oh. because what? What is it? Well, I, I saw Anya is the one who picks the pictures that go with each individual episode.
1: Oh my god. So
2: I think we How
1: could we have forgotten this scene?
2: So I think we need to explain we need to
1: unpack this.
2: The scene. And actually it was during this scene that you suddenly looked at me and said, We have to do a mystery to me today.
1: Yeah, it was. So every Kojak episode has your you like you has you no, know, it's gritty New York scenes. You got the scenes where the squad's all working together. You got this you know, the villains making bad decisions and getting desperate. But you always have to have the Kojak Razmataz. Kojak Rasmataz is Kojak in either the course of his investigation or his daily life, just making some weird small talk with somebody, oftentimes a woman. If it's a woman, she's usually pretty interested in this suave, bald man, and saying weird shit and they're making making eyes at each other and they're smiling. So in this, that scene took place in a hilariously archaic computer service, where they're like, we got the hottest technology in town. Here's a computer the size of a room. And if we tip-tap things, then it'll broop, print us some astrology horoscopes. Pretty cool, right, Kojak? And he's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> and it's this older woman kind of like, oh, hey. <laughs> that was just delightful. <laughs> She's really proud of this computer who's named Gretchen. And he's he's delighted. He I don't know whether he... I, he he's He's just... He loves to flirt, so it's just this weird old scene of old computers and people flirting, and it's just I just thought it was funny. He's always saying weird shit. In this case, the woman was kind of like pursuing him. That happens a lot in Kojak. People are into it. Everybody loves uh, Tally. He's so charismatic. He's great. So it, I just thought that was fun, and I was like, kind of like at that point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a mystery to me because I'm like, yeah, it's good writing. It's a well thought out script. Great performances, but you know what I want? I want some fucking Kojak razzmatazz. So once they gave us that, I was like, hell yeah. Let's do it. Meanwhile, that other one we watched when McNeil's wife was kidnapped, the only benefit of that one was that it was constant Kojak razzmatazz and him like playing pool in this like shitty basement with these random people that he knows really well. That one was just... The plot was inexcusable. It was stupid, but at least it had the razzmatazz. He's always just saying weird shit. And I love that about him.
2: You know, I'm looking at Martin Balsam's uh, credits here. This guy had an incredible career.
1: Yeah, he really did.
2: He was on The Twilight Zone. He was on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was on The Man from U.N.C.L.E. He was on on
1: the movie we watched, Murder on the Orient Express.
2: He was in a two-part episode of Murder, She Wrote, called Death Stalks the Big Top.
1: (laughs) Okay, that sounds like it's up your... He was in a movie called The Hassled Hooker. Okay, I've never heard of that He was in the
2: pilot of The Six Million Dollar Man. He was in one of your favorite films, Mitchell. (laughs) No. You're always humming the theme song from Mitchell. He was on Dr.
1: Kildare and The Fugitive. And he was in 12 O'Clock High. That was one of my favorite movies when I was in fourth grade for some reason. He
2: was in Contract on Cherry Street alongside the great Frank Sinatra. On the Waterfront, 12 Angry Men. Psycho.
1: Oh, this Can't one. Fear. Kane's Hundred, of course. Yeah, you remember
2: Kane's Hundred? Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, we tried to watch it for this show once.
2: I I, I came across a book called Kane's Hundred, and it was uh, a novelization of a TV show, and you got very excited.
1: I thought it was about me.
2: You said, Kevin, you have to buy that book, and now we have to watch an episode, and we we got like what two minutes into it, <laughs> yeah, we and we couldn't do it.
1: Bail, bail, bail.
2: Cape Fear, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany, Seven Days in May. That's a great film. Cash 22 Little Big Man, All the President's Men. Uh, One of his final acting appearances was in The Silence of the Hams.
1: Jesus. That's a bleak ending here. (laughs) Well, I think we've kind of talked through this episode. Is there... Is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap this up?
2: I'm sure you're going to say something that's going to summarize all of my thoughts and views in a single line. It might make me laugh, and then I'll find myself wiping away a tear.
1: I'd say that when it comes to the killing in the second house, my horoscope prediction for you is that you'll find it quite entertaining. Yeah.
2: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
2: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com.
1: We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.